Hey everybody, this is Budge. Thank you so much for logging on. Today we're going to talk about the Vente Leader and we're going to talk about what it means to build capacity in our life and in our leadership. Sometimes we try to handle issues and we just simply don't have all the tools, which is exactly why we need to constantly be building capacity. Check yourself out as we walk through this and I hope you enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome to Budge. I am so glad you decided to log on today. Today we're going to talk about the Vente Leader, the Vente Leader. And if you're taking notes, that is V-E-N-T-I, the Vente Leader. Now, if you don't speak Starbucks, this might be a little confusing for you, but let me just give you a quick tutorial on Starbucks lingo to kind of tell you where the Vente Leader title uh, came from. When you go into Starbucks, if you order a large, you're not going to get a large, you're going to get a Vente. Vente is Italian for 20. That's 20 ounces. If you order a medium, you're not going to get a medium. You're going to get a grande, which in some places would sound like a large. And if you order a small, you're not going to get a small. You're going to get a tall, which in some places, again, would be a large. So the small is a tall, the medium is a grande, and the large is a vente. Then they have this super size. It's called a Trenta. And I thought about calling this the Trenta leader, but I really thought I'd lose people then because Trenta is not a real popular size at Starbucks because they won't even sell you some drinks in a Trenta cup, probably because it would kill you. So the vente leader, the large leader, not the tall, not the grande, but the Vente leader. Now, when I go to order Starbucks, I order a Vente almost every single time, unless I've been there in the morning and then in the afternoon, sometimes I get a tall or a grande. But for the most part, I get a Vente drink. Now, if you could picture this in your mind, you have a tall, which is a small, you have a grande, which is a medium, you have a Vente, which is a large. Here's what I'm pretty convinced of. We try to lead Vente organizations on a tall capacity. I'm pretty sure that a lot of times we try to solve Vente problems on a tall capacity. We are facing Vente issues all the time and sometimes we try to face vente issues on a tall capacity we try to live a vente life on a tall capacity we respond to think about this we respond to vente challenges on a tall capacity and a lot of you i guarantee you'll be able to identify with this we try to lead Vente weird people on a tall capacity. So the point of the Vente leader is this. We need to enlarge our capacity so that we can tackle these issues, these problems, these challenges, these organizations, these weird people, these Vente things that we are trying to lead and that we are trying to get accomplished we cannot do that on a tall or even a grande capacity. We have to always, always, always build our capacity. Hence, the Vente leader. Now, what am I talking about when I talk about capacity? Here's the dictionary definition of capacity. 
It's going to be a little lengthy, so I'm going to break it down here and try to make it make sense on this audio. Building and developing mindset, attitude, grit, creativity, and a whole lot of other things to be able to do what the new demands of life and leadership require of us. All right, I'm going to say it again. Capacity is building and developing mindset. In other words, changing our thinking, developing our thinking, developing our mindset, and building our mindset, developing and building our attitude, developing and building our grit or our perseverance, building and developing our creativity in order to be able to do what the new demands of life and leadership require of us. Now think about this, especially after what we went through here recently, uh, you know, with the pandemic and everybody working from home and work basically just changing. We have new demands of life and we have new demands of leadership. And we as leaders are required to respond to that. If we don't build capacity, we're going to respond to those new demands the way we always have before. And it simply is not going to work. These are vente demands that we have to respond to with a vente capacity. So capacity is building and developing to be able to do what the new demands of life and leadership require of us. Sheila Murray Bethel, uh, I read a book of hers years ago called New Breed of a Leader. And she says in this book, and I love this quote, I use this all the time. She says, leadership is not something that you learn once and for all. And I think we treat leadership like that. I think we think, well, you know, I went to college, I have this degree, I have this business degree, uh, I've been doing this a long time, whatever. I think we treat leadership as something we learn once and for all, uh, maybe kind of like math or something that's a little more, you know, maybe scientific. And leadership definitely is not a science, it is an art. She says, leadership is not something you learn once and for all. It is an ever-evolving pattern of skills, talents, and ideas that grow and change as you do. Now, now listen, every single one of us have grown and changed over the last 10 years. Life looks different now, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, life looks different now than it did 10 years ago. And leadership is not a learn it once, learn it, and move on, and that's it. It's an ever-evolving pattern of skills, talents, and ideas. Our beliefs have to continue to grow and change and shift and morph as we learn new things, as we learn new talents, we learn new skills, we, get, we gain new ideas. Those things continue to grow and change as we continue to grow and change. So this is a real simple poem, and I know that all of you could probably repeat this. Uh, you probably will say it out loud, if, whether you're driving or listening to it or whatever. If you think what you've always thought, you will get what you've always got. And I could almost hear in my mind some of you just saying, got. If you think and do what you've always thought and done, you are going to get what you've always got. That's just the way it is. We have to continue to build and enlarge our capacity. So why do we need to build capacity? Real simple. Number one, life is changing, you're changing, and leadership morphs and it evolves, and we have to change with it. Number two, you cannot keep doing the same thing. It's absolutely going to wear you out. And number three, there is new learning and there is new information at our fingertips 
that we have to continue to somehow weave in to our life and to our leadership. So let's talk about building capacity and what that means and what that looks like. And here's how I want to do this with you today. I want to talk about five things that capacity builders do. So what do these people that are constantly building capacity, learning, growing, evolving, developing, they, 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 they it seems like they, that they have this thirst for knowledge and they have this hunger for growth and development. And they just, they don't stay satisfied with where they are, but they continue to grow and build capacity. They continue to grow and develop and morph. And you see their leadership just getting better and better and better. And we think we call them lucky. They're not getting lucky. They are just simply intentionally building and growing and pushing to learn and be better than they ever have before. So what do these capacity builders do? I'm going to share with you five things, and then I'm going to give you some practices that you can do to actually put these things uh, in, in action. Number one, capacity builders push for best, and they don't settle for good. Capacity builders push for best, and they don't settle for good. Now, if you could picture in your mind, I'm drawing a chart. And this chart is going to have a small portion on the top. We're going to call that 10%. A very wide portion in the middle, we're going to call that 80%. And then a smaller portion in the bottom, like the one on top, we're going to call that 10% as well. So we got 10, we got 80 in the middle, we got 10 on the bottom. The 10 on the top is what's great or what's best. The 80 in the middle is what is good. And then the 10% at the bottom is what is bad. Here's the deal. We have learned our whole entire lives that the opposite of bad is good and that the opposite of good is bad. And from an English language context, yes, that is true. That makes perfect sense. We started learning this when we were young. You know, you'd go to the store with mom, dad, and they'd say, hey, we get into this store and, you know, you better be, you better be good you know, don't be bad because if you're bad, you know, you're going to get whatever your discipline was at that time. Or if you're good, then you're going to get whatever the motivational tactic was. Uh, hopefully that was age appropriate for you. And so you did everything you could to get in that store and you wanted to be good, man. Or if you're like me, you just did everything you could to not be bad because as long as I wasn't bad, that must mean that I am good. So you start to learn this when you're a kid. You go to school, it's reinforced. The teacher says, hey, don't be bad in this classroom. Be good in this classroom because if you're bad, this is going to happen. And if you're good, this is what you're going to get, and, you know, those kinds of things. And so we grow up believing that, that the opposite of good is bad. As long as I'm not bad, I must be good. As long as I'm good, I am not bad. And your, your city that you live in is full of all kinds of good organizations, good companies good businesses. But see, good is not really good enough anymore. We don't want just what's good. Most people want what is great or what is best. And the hardest decision we're ever going to make in our life is not between what's good and bad. You know the difference between good and bad. The hardest decision we're going to make is the decision between what's good and what is best. And capacity builders know that, and they push for best. They don't just settle for good. Because when we hang in that good 80%, we get stagnant. 
See, good is a destination. Once you're good, you're good. Great is not a destination. Great is a journey. And that's what capacity builders know, man. They don't settle. They don't get stagnant. You know what the dictionary definition of stagnant is? Having no current or flow. And they add this onto it. Often having an unpleasant smell. Now think about this, having no current or flow. There is nothing going on. When water sets for so long with no current and no flow, it becomes stagnant and it starts to stink and it draws bugs and it draws nasty things to it. That's what good does for us is it just causes us to sit and be stagnant and capacity builders push for best and they don't settle for good. Now, what practically can you do with that? Identify an area of your life or your leadership that you have a tendency to settle in. You, you know you've been there a long time and it's good. Don't get me wrong, it's good. But it just may not be what could be best and it definitely couldn't be what we would identify as great. So what is one area of your life and leadership that you have had a tendency to settle in that you could push for great or you could push for best? So capacity builders, push for best, they don't settle for good. All right, number two, capacity builders expand their perspective. They are constantly expanding their perspective. You know what they do? They widen their lens. They see things, they try to see things from a different perspective. They try to see things as no one else sees them. They try to see people. They try to see work. They see leadership. They see it differently than most people see it because they have expanded their perspective. Expanded their perspective. They look for disconfirming data on what they really do believe. And they're okay getting pushback and, and getting challenged because it helps them to expand their perspective. I tell teams this all the time, that when I, when I deliver a, a, you know, a, a talk or uh, when I'm with a team, we're doing a session, whatever, whatever that looks like, I am always looking for disconfirming data and I invite pushback. Now, here's what I don't want. I don't want disagreement just for disagreement's sake. I don't want somebody, I, I disagree because that just doesn't sound right. I want other data. I want other opinions. I want other perspectives. Challenge me with that because I see it my way and that's not the way, it is a way. I want to see it broader than that. And so I am looking for disconfirming data. And so this is what capacity builders do is they widen their lens. Capacity builders, here's a new thought process. I'm going to share this just a little bit and we're going to do more budge on this later on down the road. Uh, in fact, I'm going to take some time here real soon and, and develop a whole session on this thought. How do you fundamentally see work? How do you see work? See, I, I believe capacity builders, ongoing capacity builders, do not see work as this, this 40 or 50 hour a week evil necessity. I think capacity builders see work differently than that. I think they see work as a challenge. I think they see it as a tool to provide fulfillment. I think they see it as an avenue to use their skills, their talents, to give themselves something bigger than them. How do you fundamentally see work? And I'm pretty convinced of this, is that we have a lot of people coming to work in our American workplaces today that see work as 
this 50 hour, 40 hour evil necessity that I just have to go do every day in order to make ends meet, in order to pay the bills, in order just to get by. And, and if we see work that way, every day when we show up to work, we're in survival mode, man. And when I'm in survival mode, who is it about? It's about me. And I'm just wondering now, is this why it is so difficult to get people to grow, to get people to collaborate, to create team, to create culture? Is because when I get there, it's just about me. Because all I'm trying to do is just simply survive. Capacity builders broaden their perspective. They expand their perspective a little bit. How do you see people? Do you see people as objects? Do you see people as people? Do you see people as, um, as employees or do you see people as people? Do you see people as a tool or as an obstacle that gets in your way of getting your paycheck or getting your crap done? Or do you see people as people that can really contribute and that, that, that come to work for something different than just you know draw a paycheck and go home? How do you fundamentally see people? So capacity builders, expand their perspective. Now, what practically can you do in order to expand your perspective? Here you go. Practice curiosity. Practice curiosity. Continually ask this question. Is there any other possible way of seeing this differently? So the next time you hit something like crisis, for example, or any kind of disruption, uh, any kind of challenge that may give you some sort of angst in your life, Ask yourself this question, is there any other possible way that I could see this? Practice curiosity. The next time somebody disagrees with you, instead of getting uh, defensive, ask this question. Tell me more about that. I know you don't see it that way. I know you think of it differently. Tell me where that comes from. Tell me more about that. Practice curiosity because our most natural uh, a tendency when, when, when somebody disagrees with us is to get defensive. And when you get defensive, communication stops. So you start practicing curiosity, it takes the edge off of that. So practice curiosity to expand your perspective. All right, number three, capacity builders build capacity in others. Capacity builders build capacity in others. So there's a little phrase that I use a lot when I'm talking about teams and, and effective cultures and that kind of thing. It, 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 the phrase I use is social benevolence. Social benevolence, and I'm going to really shorten this up. Social benevolence in short means helping others succeed. Helping others succeed. This is what capacity builders do, is they help others build capacity and succeed. They practice social benevolence. And you know what that does? is it gets you beyond you. And you start focusing on others and focusing on them and it changes the game. And you do it not because it's your job, you do it because it's your heart. True joy comes when you inspire, when you encourage, and when you guide someone else on a path that benefits him or her, that is when you're gonna experience real fulfillment. And capacity builders know this they build capacity in others. Zig Ziglar, uh, one of our longtime greats, he was a, a management guru. He says that you can have everything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want. And when you inspire and encourage others, people begin to view you then as a leader. So capacity builders build capacity in others. Practically, what can we do with this? Find someone that you could meet with to just build each other up. Find somebody you can meet with periodically 
to just give yourself away to and see what happens. When you start building capacity in others, your capacity is built. I ask leaders this all the time. Do you want your team to grow? And obviously every single one of them, yes, I want my team to grow. Then you set the pace, you set the example, and you begin to grow. And when you do, when you do, then you're showing and you're modeling what it is to build capacity. So find somebody that you can meet with occasionally to build each other up and that you give yourself away to. So capacity builders push for best. They don't settle for good. Number two, they expand their perspective. Number three, they build capacity in others. And number four, capacity builders pursue feedback. They pursue feedback. Now, Capacity builders are not scared to ask the hard questions because they want to grow. They need to know how they need to grow. They need to know how they might be an obstacle. They need and want to know how they might be standing in the way of organizational growth or of personal growth with somebody else that they're uh, working with or the, that they're leading. They get coached. They ask the hard questions to learn. I, I, Peyton Manning is one of my all-time favorite NFL players, uh, probably probably my favorite NFL player of all time. And, and I, I love watching Peyton play. I used to love watching him play. And, and, when, and when he retired, man, I was a little bit lost with football. But I loved watching him play, not because he was technically the best quarterback to ever play the game, but I love to watch the way that he would lead. I just think that he's one of the best leaders to play that position that I personally have, have, have ever seen. Um, and just the, the incredible intelligence that he has with the game itself, but more than that, just in the way that he handled himself around people. So very, very good um, in the Hall of Fame and will go down in history as one of the best ever. And people said this the whole time he played, but here's what's interesting is that every offseason, Peyton Manning would go get coached for about three or four weeks, the way I understand it. And, and he would tell his coach, he would put himself at his coach's mercy to just pound him, basically. Uh, not physically, obviously, but just pound him and just show him all the little things that he could be doing better. And then coaching him to do those things better. He would pursue constant feedback. That's what makes people great. That's what capacity builders do is they constantly, constantly are pursuing feedback. Tell me where I can grow. Tell me where I can get better. Tell me what I might not know. Every single one of us has got blind spots. I've been asking people this question about the last three or four months. You, you got blind spots? Yeah, everybody's got blind spots. What are some of those? And people actually think about it. And then I had uh, one lady actually try to explain to me her blind spots. And I said, those aren't blind spots because you know about those. Blind spots are things you don't know about. And she couldn't accept that. She really thought they were blind spots. But anyway, it's a whole nother story. Everybody's got blind spots. You're not going to know what those blind spots are until somebody tells you. And somebody's probably not going to tell you until you ask. You have to ask what those blind spots are. And capacity builders are not afraid to ask those questions. Ask those questions. Where do I need to grow? What could I be doing better? How might I be standing in the way? Tell me. And it's a very vulnerable question to ask. And I'm, I, I, I think that it's a very, probably a more vulnerable question to answer.
But that's what capacity builders do is they ask those hard questions to get the hard answers so they know where they need to grow. So you got to know where I'm going with this. What practically can you do with that information? What is a practical thing that you can go actually make happen? Go sit down with somebody you know, love, and trust and ask the hard questions. How might I be a problem? And how could I be more helpful? How might I be a problem? And how could I be more helpful? Ask it in your own language. Ask it in your own context. Make it yours. But that's the gist of what you need to ask. How might I be a problem? And how could I be more helpful? You probably aren't going to grow. You're definitely not going to take care of those blind spots until you begin to ask those hard questions. So capacity builders constantly pursue feedback. Here's number five. This last one. Capacity builders are comfortable looking stupid. Capacity builders are comfortable looking stupid. Now, Epictetus, an age-old philosopher, in fact, he, he died in 135 AD, so a long, long time ago, made this statement. If you want to improve, be content to be thought foolish and stupid. If you want to improve, be content to be thought foolish and stupid. This is the deal. And this is, I, in my heart of hearts, believe this is one of the number one things that holds people back from building capacity is we don't want to look stupid and we don't want to look awkward. Practice can be awkward. Um, learning something new can be awkward. We can look foolish and we can look stupid. And capacity builders are comfortable looking stupid. Now, they're not comfortable being stupid. They're comfortable looking stupid. And until we get to that place where we literally don't mind looking stupid and awkward because we're trying to do something that's, 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 that's beneficial, we probably are not going to build capacity like we need to. So practice can be awkward. Do you think back when you learned to walk and you learned to talk? You looked stupid. Now, thank goodness you weren't old enough to know better. In fact, when you said things that were out of line, when you learned to talk, people actually laughed. Like when I would, when I learned to say the word shirt, when I was a kid, when I was a, a, a when I was a learning to talk, I don't even know how old I was, probably one, one and a half, something like that. When I was learning to say the word shirt, I would leave the R out of shirt. And I'll let you now make the translation on your own. So I would leave the, the R out of shirt and it became a whole different word, obviously. So my mom, who thought that was hilarious, would take me to church and she would tell people, ask Steve what he's wearing. And so they'd say, Steve, what is this? And of course, I would answer the word shirt with no R. And my mom loved that. Uh, I'm not so sure everybody else really thought that was as funny as what my mom did, but she told that story for years and years and years. So that's pretty foolish and, and that's pretty stupid, but you know, I'm a baby and I'm learning how to talk. When you learn how to walk, think about this. You're, you, you know, you, you almost everybody listen to this. You seen somebody, you've taught somebody how to walk. And that can be very frustrating, you know, because they're taking like two, three steps, fall down, two, three steps, fall down, two, three steps, fall down. And, and you just, you, and they waddle and they're trying to walk because there's this big, thick diaper between their legs and they're not, you know, walking straight or anything. And it just, they just look goofy. And, and, and they look, if you didn't know any better, I mean, if an adult did that, you would think that they were drunk. So they just look foolish and stupid when they're learning to walk. 
but they keep learning to walk until now it becomes normal to them. That's what capacity builders do, is they struggle through the awkwardness of the practice until they are comfortable and it's habit. And now they've got this. They, they've built capacity, they've learned, they've moved beyond the awkward and the perceivably stupid. And now they're doing what they need to do to be the best that they can be. So capacity builders are comfortable looking stupid. So how, what can you do with this? And what is a practical thing that you can take away and actually go do with that one? And this is going to sound maybe perhaps a little overly, overly simplistic, and I hope not. But you need to find people around you, again, that you know, love, and trust. And you need to declare that you are on an improvement journey. Now, that very statement, however you say that in and of itself, is going to be awkward. And it could be perceived as being a little foolish. But you need to declare that you're on an improvement journey. In other words, go ahead and admit it. Let everybody know, hey, this is what I'm doing. So I may look stupid doing this. I may look foolish doing this. This is going to be awkward for me because I'm going to try some new things here, but I am on this improvement journey. Be loud and be proud. And that is going to get you beyond the whole feeling, uh, be the uncomfortableness with looking stupid and with looking foolish. So capacity builders, push for great, push for best. They don't settle for good. Capacity builders expand their perspective. They widen their lens. They see things differently. Capacity builders build capacity in others. They give themselves away. They help other people grow. At the same time, they grow as well. Capacity builders pursue feedback. They ask the hard questions, and they want to know what they can do to actually get better. And capacity builders are comfortable looking foolish and looking stupid. And they practice, practice, practice until they get beyond that awkwardness. So what else can we do to actually build capacity? So I want to just real quick without overloading you, hopefully with more information, but I want to give you just some things real quick overall that we can do. I gave you practical steps for each one of those, but overall, Here's what you can do. First thing you can do, identify one area of growth and attack it. And if you don't know what that area of growth is, ask somebody because I promise you somebody around you knows. So identify one area of growth and then attack it. Attack it by reading about it, listening to TED Talks or to YouTube's uh, uh, podcasts, whatever you can find in that area of growth. Read, listen, explore, and have conversations. So that's the first thing. The second thing you can do overall to build capacity is begin to challenge your own belief system. Like how can you really see things differently? Um, are you really getting the results that you want? And if not, then you got to rewind and change your belief system. Number three, get coached. This is the third thing you can do overall. Get coached. Find somebody, whether it's a formal coach, uh, somebody that you're actually paying to coach you, or somebody that you can go sit down with periodically and get coached. One way or the other, you need to get coached. You're probably not going to build capacity I, I didn't include this, but I, I, another thing, I, don't, I believe capacity builders, they don't do it alone. They always do it with somebody else, and, and they, they, uh, they understand that they're, they're not going to be able to do it by themselves. So go get coached. Ask people to help you. And the fourth thing, and this is big, change your language. 
If you're going to build capacity, you have to change your language. You got to reframe and reword. So we use so many excuses sometimes for various things. And this is a big one. This is this happens a lot. And I think this has become just the general, all-American, well-rounded, well-accepted excuse. Well, I just didn't have time for that. Nope, not true. You had time. If you say that, you are powerless and you can do nothing about it whatsoever. So flip that. Flip it, reframe it, and reword it. And now when you do, you now are empowered to do something about it. So instead of saying, I didn't have the time, you should say, I did not take the time. That's more accurate because you have the time. You didn't take the time. So you have the time to do what is important to you. So I don't have the time. I'm going to reword that to, I didn't take the time. Uh, here's another one. Well, that won't work. I know I'm probably, even through this particular uh, budge cast, you're probably thinking as I'm saying these things, ah, yeah, that won't work. Oh yeah, that won't work. Ah, you know, I tried that. It won't work. Okay. Instead of that won't work, ask the question, how can I make this work? If it's really important to you, then how can we make it work? So change it from that won't work to how can I make this work? So change your language, flip to the positive, reframe and reword, and that's going to help you build a little more capacity. I just really, really believe that, um, that everybody should be on some sort of journey to build capacity in their lives, uh, their life, their leadership, their, their, their marriage, and their parenting, uh, in everything that they do, let's just continue to build capacity and learn and be the best that we can be. And that's whole whole purpose of Budge really is just to help you move just a little because small movements matter. So don't go try all this at one time, pick something, attack it, and let's see what happens when we start building capacity. Become that Vente leader, because I promise you, you're facing Vente issues. You've got Vente organizations. You're leading Vente weird people, and you need to build capacity and be that Vente leader in order to be what you need to be for them and for you. Yeah, I, here, here's the thing. I think, I think a lot of us are tired. I think we start thinking about building capacity. There's this fatigue that just sets in, this mental and emotional fatigue that sets in, and it just kind of, it kind of haunts us and it kind of weighs us down a little bit. Adam Grant said this: burnout isn't due to a lack of motivation; it's caused by shortage of capacity. Now I'm, I'm going to play with his words a little bit here, right? Fatigue isn't due to a lack of motivation. Fatigue isn't due to a, a lack of time. It isn't due to a lot going on. It's caused by a shortage of capacity. So when Adam's talking about this, he's talking about burnout isn't due to a lack of motivation. It's caused by shortage of capacity. I'm just adding to his words. I, I just think there's so much that's caused by a shortage of capacity. I think if we knew more and we could be more, then we could contain more and we'd be able to handle more. So I hope you can use this to build capacity in your life, build capacity in your leadership and be the, the leader 
the mom, the dad, the team player, the everything that you need to be for the people in your life and for you. So take this and use it. Let me know if there's anything I can help you with. Thank you.